We, um, a couple weeks ago, we started out writing something down. We wrote down things that are on our mind, things that bother us, things that, that stress us, things, things that are kind of holding us back. And we wrote those things down. And at the end of the message, um, I would say 90 plus percent of you came forward and gave those things to God. And the things that you'd written down on a piece of paper, you even took and shredded those things here in the shredder. And I had several messages the week after of things that, that God had done for you and burdens had been lifted, um, prayers that had been answered and, and things that maybe weren't bothering you the same as they were prior to. And then last week, um, we, we wrote down simply, if you could ask God for anything you want. We looked at it according to Solomon. He said, name what you want. Woke him up in the middle of the night. Actually, it was in a dream. But it's all the same. Name what you want. And we looked Certainly the opportunity to, to name what you want, and we wrote down a lot of things. Any, anything you wanted, anything your heart desired, no, no matter what it is, we wrote those things down. But then we also looked at the fact that sometimes you're better off if God doesn't give you that stuff. We saw what it did to Solomon. Sometimes it's the blessings of God that can cause us to get relaxed and actually cause us to walk away from the things of God. And So we prayed for one or two things. God, will you either give me what I've written down, or just take away my desire for it. If you don't want me to have it, then I don't want it. And I've had several texts this week. I started getting texts on Sunday before we even got to Oakside at the evening service that God was already answering some of those prayers. People were getting things that they had written down. And um, Monday and Tuesday, really just all through the week, I've gotten that, hey, I wrote it down. I got one. I wrote it down on Sunday. God answered it on Monday. I've gotten... Uh, ones even as late as yesterday, how God had delivered and God had done some things. Well, this morning I'm not going to write anything down, or we're not going to write anything down, but I do want to start out by asking you, I don't know, I would call it a pretty simple question. Has anybody ever been bothered by temptations? Has the devil ever tempted you to do anything wrong? I don't even know always, we don't give that slew foot good for nothing too much credit. I don't even know it's always him. The Bible says it's the desires within our own hearts. It creates a lot of the stuff. So this morning I want to I wanna bring a message on overcoming temptations. Anybody interested? Anybody have anything in your life that bothers you? And you know that. And you need God to help you. Well... There in the book of James, chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 12. It says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. You, you notice that word when, right? There's not a two-letter word if in there. It's a point blank. When he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot tempt for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, of whom is no variable, and is either shadow of turning. Of his own will begot he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 
Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Father, thank you so much for this book. Thank you for this word. God, I thank you for the blessings. I pray right now. Lord, I thank you for the sweet presence of your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for your way, the way you've moved in the, in the music service and the song service. God, I thank you for the way you've moved on the hearts of people. God, I feel like you've already lifted some burdens and broken some chains this morning. And I pray, God, now that you would release some, some binds that are holding some people and tying some people. God, I pray for everybody within the sound of my voice, especially for those in this building, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would settle down next to him. God, I pray you'd give help. I pray you'd give hope. I pray you'd give healing. God, I pray you'd give teaching, God. I pray you'd give us discernment. I pray you'd give us wisdom, Father. Your word says that we're to ask for those things. I ask you, God, will you move upon everybody in this place and help us that we might learn something that make us a better servant, God. We just want to be pleasing to you. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, so how is it that we can live a better Christian life? How is it that we can live a life that is more pleasing to God? How is it that we can live a life that when the outside world, where the brothers and sisters in Christ are lost and dying, going to hell, makes no difference? How is it that we can live a life that we're a better influence, a positive influence to those who are around us? Well, that's the subject of the letter that James has written here. The entire subject, the letter was written somewhere between 45 and 50 A.D. It's written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. I know there's two or three or four other Jameses in the Bible, but this one's clearly written by his half-brother. If you study God's Word, you'll find out that James wasn't much of a believer when Jesus was here. You'll find that he really wasn't much of a believer until after the resurrection when Jesus came back. But now here he is. He's the head of the first Christian church there at Jerusalem. He's a very powerful man, a man with great authority. And he writes this letter. If you look there at the beginning of chapter 1, he writes this letter to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. So he writes this letter, kind of like most all of the letters, even all the, the 13 letters that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, the church at Colossus, the church at Corinth, the church at Rome. Those were letters seemingly in their mind. These are just simple men writing a letter to a church, but in reality it was God writing a letter to his church. This letter that was written here, somewhere around 50 A.D., written to the children of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, couldn't be more relevant if it had been written yesterday and mailed to the church of today. The entire theme of this letter is practical Christian living. He makes many references throughout the letter back to the Sermon on the Mount, which tells me he might not have been a full believer, but he was there most of the time. He had to have heard the Sermon on the Mount preached to have made as many references back to it as he does. It's not some theological letter giving you deep theological thoughts. He's simply teaching along the lines of moral ethics. The kind of Christian that we ought to be. He's, he, he's written this, this timeless letter to the church as a whole. There will never be a day when this, when this particular letter is not applicable to children of God. We live in a society today that in all honesty, I think is probably comparable to that of Sodom and Gomorrah. I, I, I don't see how they could have been any more wicked. 
I don't see how they could have been any more evil. I don't see how they could have done any worse. The Bible says that one thing, I'm just paraphrasing, one thing worse than doing the sin is condoning the sin. Because to condone the sin makes it open and rampant. For somebody to do a sin, that's one person sinning. But to condone a sin opens the floodgates for sin to come in. And America has opened some floodgates. I used to say you can't hardly watch anything on television. Now I just say you can't even watch television. Used to, you could be selective about the movies that you wanted to watch. You, you could do children's movies and, you know, you, you, as long as you were particular about what channel you're on and what you watched, it would be good. But you really can't even turn television on anymore. I, I, I'll just go ahead and make a correlation that I believe. I believe if you're one of those that watches the news every day, you're probably a pretty miserable person for a large part. I'm just telling you real, I can't watch it. I'm not saying stick your head in the sand, but there's something more to life than wasting an hour of my time listening to that filth. They don't care about nothing good. They're not going to tell anything but good that God's done. They're not going to talk about grace. They're not going to talk about mercy. They're going to talk about the worst filth they can get. And we're coming up on a season when politicians are going to get on there. And if there wasn't already a reason to turn it off, you better now. Sitting there trying to watch a television show, Lion King for Pete's sake. Lying. We went and saw the new one Friday night. Y'all seen it yet? Well, I, won't give, I, won't, I won't give away nothing then. I ain't going to tell you we're no cartoon junkies, but we went and saw it on Friday night. Robin and Katie and I went and saw it and on Saturday. Come on TV. I walk in the house. Katie's got the cartoon version. Now we watch it again. <laughs> and commercials come on. I'm on the pill. I'm on the pill. I'm on, are you kidding me? I, I, I thought, I honestly, a few years ago, I thought we had come to wit's end when I started seeing all these feminine products advertised on television. That's just a little too much information for me. But they're advertising a pill for you to take so that your homosexual, godless activities can maybe this pill might help you keep from getting AIDS. And that's what's on television. We live in a sick society. We live in this society that says there are to be no moral absolutes. They say just live and let live. Let everybody do it their way. It's a philosophy that suggests that there are no wrong answers. Just let everybody do it their way. There's no moral standards. There's no time of accountability. There's little, if any, morals whatsoever in what the world teaches. They want to call this word of God archaic. They want to call the, the Bible out of date. But there are absolutes. And it is from in the beginning to amen, God wrote them. They are timeless absolutes. They will never fade away. They will never go away. They will never dampen. They will never change. They will never fade. They will never change to fit culture. Can I go ahead and say to the younger generation, quit trying to make this book fit your life and make your life fit this book? We live in a society that says everything ought to change to be our way. 1987 bestseller. The Closing of the American Mind, written by Professor Alan Bloom, he stated that our inability to recognize and identify evil would be a sign that our society is in grave danger. But we are living in that day. Because we're in a society that has failed to recognize and identify evil. 
We're in a day when people call good evil and evil good. Our nation bows before an innumerable host of little G gods, including, I won't say Christians, or at least some that call themselves Christians. They have so many things in their lives that they put before God. That's a little G God. We have a, an educational system that is void of any moral teachings. Come on, teachers. I know. I don't mean to bring that up. Y'all got to go back to work in a couple weeks. The Ten Commandments are viewed as archaic. They want to take all teachings of the Ten Commandments out of the schools, not just out of the schools, but out of every walk of life. They want it pulled down off government buildings. They want it pulled out of the school systems. They want it pulled off all public venues. They don't want to see it. You know why? Because it is a constant reminder in their face that they're living a sin-cursed, sin-filled life, and they simply don't want to hear it. They think by removing the written absolute, it removes the absolute, but nothing removes the Word of God. People just want to take out anything that points out their sin, anything that points out their wrong, because morality is a discussion that nobody seems to want to have anymore. This religion of modern-day man offers a life with no moral absolute so that people are held accountable for nothing. That's the way they want it to be. We live in a day where these high-ranking officials and popular ball players and movie stars and, and famous singers, and, and they put all their time out there, and they set these standards uh, of sin. They set these standards of, of adultery, of money scandals, of drug abuse and alcohol abuse, and they said all of this wickedness and all this evil, and they set it out there for the world to see, and they set it as though it's a standard, and then they use their money to buy their way out. Might I'll tell you, some of you ain't got their money, so you better stay out of trouble. Why would they want absolutes taken out? Why would they want morals done away with? Simple, it points out their sin. But temptation... Temptation is the one thing that every person deals with. It doesn't matter where you grew up, what your background is, your financial status, social status, what neighborhood you're in. Everybody has one thing in common, and that's called temptation. James says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. The phrase there, cannot be tempted, comes from a Greek word that is translated untemptable. That is the only time you'll find it in all of the New Testament. It says that God is untemptable. Since God is not guilty of sin, God has no sin. God cannot be tempted of sin. Therefore, he cannot use sin or cannot use temptations towards sin for us. Because there's no sin in him, he can't tempt us towards sin. Y'all with me? Make any sense? Anybody got it? From the Garden of Eden until today, nothing's ever been their fault. Men and women tried to avoid personal responsibilities, and none of it's changed today. Even in the Garden, it wasn't their fault. Adam said, well, God, you got a choice here. It's either your fault or it's her fault. You gave her to me, and she gave me the fruit. So, God, one way or the other, my hands are clean of this. It's got to be one of y'all's fault. Eve, knowing it wasn't God's fault, he said, the woman that thou givest me, she said, oh, no, 
No, no, no, no, no. It wasn't me. Don't look over here at me. No, it, it had to be the serpent. Nothing was their fault then, and nothing has changed today. That's the one inherited trait that we all get very well. Nothing is ever our fault. But that's not what that book says. That book says when you sin, it is your fault. When you sin, it's not even the devil's fault. That old stuff, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. He couldn't make you do it. He wants to, but he can't. When we sin, it is our own fault and nobody else's. James says in verse 14, Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, bringeth forth death. In this entire discussion of temptation, James never once mentions the devil. In the Garden of Eden, all the devil did was tossed out an opportunity. All the devil did was presented. Eve and her own personal desires is what caused the sin. Temptation comes when an internal desire and an external opportunity converge. Sin comes when the internal desire to do what is wrong supersedes that desire to do what is right. And you know that you do what God does not want you to do. Desires are natural. Desires are not bad. They're just desires. That's very easily proven. Anybody have a desire to eat? I would have thought more of us. I got 20 more minutes. I'll ask out about 12, 15. We'll find out who's serious in here. The desire to eat's not a sin. But overeating is not advisable. And gluttony is a sin. I'll put the fine time to leave a merge in here. Um, anybody ever, that's okay. You got to hear it one day sooner or later. Anyway, you might well hear the truth of the matter. Anybody ever have any? How am I going to say that? Y'all raise your hand if you know what I'm trying to say, and I don't have to say it. Thank you, Lord. Because I'm not very comfortable with it anyway. But it's a really good illustration that, that we need to look at. See, the desire comes natural. God put the desire there. God put the desire in every living creature, and that's how every living creature populates. If you didn't know what I was talking about, you should have just caught up. <laughs> if not, well, Chris and Nikki's got a new one. They can explain it to you. <laughs> i got to get out of this quick. The desire is not bad, but there are laws around the desire. The desire is not the issue, but God gave a set of standards on how to fulfill the desire, and it's called the confines of marriage. We live in a society that wants to write that out. They want to fulfill the, fulfill the desire, but they see no problem. Matter of fact, we're in a society that almost just considers it's just commonplace, sex before marriage. Sex before marriage is a sin, S-I-N. All capital letters, exclamation mark, 
keep yourself pure. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to your God. And you owe it to your mate that's coming one day down the road. Keep yourself pure. It is sin to have sex before marriage. And we live in a society that ain't going to want to hear this one either. Which one of them cameras is on so I can go ahead and make everybody out there mad too? Sex outside of your marriage is a sin. It's not the desire that's the problem. It's when you take things outside of the confines of the Word of God. There are moral absolutes. We live in a world that wants to say, oh, throw that stuff away. You know why? So they can live in their sin. When an evil desire attaches itself, or when our desire attaches itself to an evil object, then we are drawn away from the Word of God. When a, when a desire attaches itself to an evil object, we are drawn away from the things of God. Everybody's tempted, but everybody's not tempted the same. What tempts one doesn't tempt another. Everyone has their own weakness. You know it, but you don't know it as well as the devil does. The devil knows your own weaknesses better than you. No one is immune to desires. The, the desires are natural. It's the evil desires that cause the problem. If there was no evil desire in our heart, then we wouldn't care to do anything evil. Amen? Amen. So the internal source of temptation is selfish desire, and the external source of temptation is deception. When those two meet, you must make a choice. Am I going to do it God's way? Or am I going to sin against God? When the desire chooses the deception, you have chosen sin over God. Getting personal up in the house of God, isn't it? It's not the devil's fault. It's ours. All he did was present the opportunity. We made the choice. The first message that I ever heard... Pastor Bruce Freeman preached. We went to Yadkinville, North Carolina, on a pulpit committee. And he preached that morning. We were up there, and I have no idea what he preached. I don't remember anything about it. But I know um, Randy and Rich and those guys will remember. He gave us a CD uh, of a message called The Devil's Tackle Box. And we listened to it coming back. And that's exactly what he talked about, The Devil's Tackle Box. And he has things in that time. And there's not even lots of them. There's just things in that tackle box that it uses to try to lure people in. He used the illustration of fishing to talk about how the devil tries to tempt each one of us. Well, I told you the Wild Game Supper is coming up. It's in August 30th, and we're hoping we could get maybe as many as 600 men in there, but that means we've got to feed 600 people. And one of the things that we always have there is fish. That means they've got to get caught, and they've got to get cleaned. I don't know. I know in the last two days, if you take the fish as a whole, I've personally cleaned over 400 pounds of fish, and Jonathan's cleaned a whole lot more than I have. I have no idea how many fish he's cleaned. But we went up on Thursday, Jonathan and, and Mr. Gerald was up there, and um, a couple of other boats, and pretty much everybody had somebody with them was up there fishing, and, and they were doing pretty good, obviously, for us to have to clean that many. But here's what we did. We went up there and we took a piece of plastic that resembles a smaller fish, which is a temptation to a larger fish since they like eating little fish. Everybody following along with me? So we took something that, that looked like something they would desire and we put it in front of them and gave them the opportunity to eat it. The only problem was what we were offering had a hook in it. 
Nobody put a hook in a fish's mouth. Nobody took the bait and put the bait in the fish's mouth. All we did was offered an opportunity. Now, here's the difference between wildlife and you and I. They don't have a conscience. They do have a desire to eat. That much we all have in common. But they don't have a conscience. What they do have is a desire to stay alive. They have a will to live. And God has given them a certain area of fear. Six senses, if you will. They, they, they fear if anything is out of place. I don't care if you're hunting, if you're fishing. If you do anything wrong, anything to put fear in, they're gone. You don't get them. So you have to present it as though there's nothing in it to be feared in order to get them to fall for the bait. A hundred plus fish will get eat over here on August 30th because they fell for what was desired. The devil does the same thing to you and I. The difference is, is, is that you and I have a conscience. We, we have a, a, a will. God has given us a choice. He's given us a conscience inside to know right from wrong. So we not only have a desire, we have a conscience. The sin doesn't start with the bait. Sin starts in the heart. The bait's just the result. And the devil knows what it is. See, no one put the forbidden fruit in Eve's mouth. Eve chose to eat it. The devil didn't put it in her mouth. He simply offered her something. Everybody listening, anybody awake, raise your hand if you're awake. Give me, give me just a couple more minutes. The devil simply offered something that she knew was forbidden. Not only, you listening? Not only was this fruit forbidden, but there is more fruit available around her than she and a million like her could ever eat. But he offered her one. And she looked. You don't need to look at what the devil shows you. He's going to make it so attractive. He's going to make it so amazing. Don't look at what the devil shows you. He looked at it. She looked at it. And when she looked at it, she found herself desiring to touch it, so she took it and she put it in her hand. The fall has begun. And the Bible says that she ate it. And then she offered it to her husband, and, and he took and, and he ate it. So, so what we need then is a change of desires. We need, a, we need a change of heart. See, the devil does the same thing to you and I. He offers us bait, but it's not without a hook. So the question is, what do we do about it? How do we overcome sinful temptations? Well, Jesus said in Mark chapter 7 and verse 20 that that which cometh out of the man is that, def that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men... Proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within. All of these things are brewed up in our very own heart. The devil doesn't even produce those. 
reproduce all of those things is those things that defile a man. The devil just simply takes those things from the desires, and that's the things that he offers us. So again, what we need is a change of heart. Anybody say amen? amen. If the heart is where the sin's coming from, if that's where wickedness, desire comes from, then, then we need a change of heart. It's not a sin to be tempted. Even Jesus was tempted. The Bible tells us, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So see, what we see right there is that we can have victory over temptation in the Lord Jesus Christ. He did it, and Christ in us can still do it. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I, your temptation is not any different than my temptation is not any different than their temptations, not any different than anybody else's. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. That means that he goes on and says, Well, with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. If God allows the temptation to come your way, he also gives the grace and the strength to overcome it. you got to decide which one do you want to focus on, what the devil's showing you or what the Lord's telling you. Everybody has a desire. The desires are different. The enemy knows that. He's been studying your whole life. He knows what you look at. He knows what you say. Fortunately, he doesn't know your thoughts, but he doesn't need to. We're pretty good at just letting him know what we're thinking anyway. You know, when we go fishing, these guys will tell you we don't have one bait. We don't, every time we go, decide what it's going to be. No, when, when you go fishing, there's a lot of determining factors. What time of year is it? What color is the water? Is it stained? Is it clear? Is it muddy? How deep is the water? What's the temperature of the water? Is there a current or is the water still? There's a multitude of things that you decide on which bait to use and which fish you're fishing for to determine whether or not you can trick them. The devil does the same thing to you and I. He spent his whole life knowing how to learn water conditions and water temperatures and how you react to different things. And he uses the things that he knows are your weaknesses. You take two men walking down the street. The two men are coming up. There's a piece of paper lying on the ground. And they look, and it's, it's, a, it's a centerfold from one of those pathetic magazines. Now, you got two men that look down and see the same thing. One of them is going to be disgusted by it. There's such a beautiful young woman would lower herself to such a pathetic, stinking standard. That somebody that attractive would find a need that they need a dollar so bad that they would pose for something like that for people to look at. And that person would want to pick that up, tear it up, throw it away so that nobody else would see it. Now, I can tell you that one's me. That's just not one that bothers me because I'm not a fool. I'm not giving the devil any information on me, so I'm going to use one that don't bother me. Now, if that bothered you, I'm sorry. You can come stand over here and be the other guy, any takers. Because the other guy wants to gawk at it. He wants to pick it up and look at it. He, he wants to fold it up, put it in his pocket, and, and, and take it home so, so that he might have it. They both had the same bait. They both saw the same opportunity. The desire begins in the heart of the man. And you know your weaknesses. You know the things that draw you away. You know the sin and temptation. You know your areas of failure. Stay away from them. Don't put yourself in bad positions. If you know it's a weakness, avoid it at all costs. The only way to avoid falling for temptations 
is through prayer and reading the Word of God. The only way to avoid falling for temptations is through prayer and through the Word of God. The only way to avoid falling for the temptations is through prayer and through the Word of God. Spend your time in the Word of God. Spend your time talking to the Father. The more we stay connected with God, the more His desire will become our desire. The more His will will become our will. The more the things He wants for our life will become the things that we want for our lives. Do you know why people continue to struggle with the same desires over and over and over and over and over? Because they make room for it. The Bible says, Ephesians 4, 27, neither give place to the devil. You give him a place, and he'll stay there. You give him room, and he'll take it. You may not can control the temptation, but you can control the choice. You have all control over the choice of the temptation. I've used it before, but I'll use it again. It's kind of like owning a hotel. You may not can control who comes into your lobby, but you can control whether or not you give them room for a night. You may not can control what runs through your mind, but you can decide whether or not to think on it. You can decide whether or not to dwell on it or whether or not to pick up God's Word and read until that thought's out of your mind. Spend time in prayer until it's gone. James says in 116 there, it says, Do not err, my beloved brethren. God is not the author of temptation. It's our desire. Verse number 14, Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Thus, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The root of temptation lies within the heart of the man. And the only way to make it better is to make our relationship with the Father better. Be at church. Be at prayer meetings. Spend time in prayer. Stand strong in the Lord. Stand strong against temptation. Keep good things in your mind. Keep Godly things. Listen to godly music. Listen to godly preaching on the radio. Don't listen to what the world has to offer because the world will just pull you out there. Watch godly stuff. Don't watch what the world has to offer because the world's stuff will pull you out there. Spend time always in prayer. The Bible says, Luke chapter 18, that men ought always to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray without ceasing. Pray, 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 pray. Live in an attitude of prayer. I ain't saying live like a monk closed up in a dark closet 24-7, 365. I'm saying you can be in an attitude of prayer. When an evil thought comes in your mind, you can immediately say, God, help me. Forgive me, God. You know what I'm thinking. Forgive me for my thought. Forgive me for the impure thought. Help me, God. Give me strength right here to overcome. Give me the wisdom, God. Tell me what I need. You start talking to God, and the problems can start going away. Tell the thing in Jesus' name. Get out and leave me alone. In Jesus' name, I claim victory over sin. In Jesus' name, I claim victory over temptation. In Jesus' name, I'm going to claim victory. And what's going in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And demons of hell must flee. Sickness has to go. The name of Jesus has power over all things. Spend time in prayer continually. Stay in an attitude. The Word of God here not only gives us absolutes, it tells us how to stay pure. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, But thanks be to God that giveth us the victory. I need to read that again. Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory. Anybody want victory? Thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, anybody risen with Christ? Anybody washed in the blood? Anybody justified? Anybody sanctified? Anybody's name written down in the Lamb's book of life? Anybody plan on rising when the trumpet sounds and Jesus comes and gets us? Anybody going to be risen? So he says in the letter to the church at Colossus, if you then be risen with Christ, I need to do that one more time. If you know you're going to heaven, you know you're risen with Christ, raise your hand. I want to make sure I want to see what I'm talking about. Okay, because this is to you. This is to you. This is, this is your sentence. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. If you're washed in the blood of the Lamb of God, seek the things of God. And then he says, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. You want to know how to overcome temptation? Focus on the book. Spend time in prayer. The temptations will come. They are real. The devil will come at you in your weakest areas. Or he might give you two or three things that don't bother you, let you win a couple times so you get to feeling a little cocky. But the real temptation is coming. He's just setting the stage. It's coming. Keep your mind set on the things of God and seek those things which are above. If you focus on worldly desires, rest assured this world is going to offer them to you. I'll tell you what I want to do. I want, to, I want us to pray. I want us to pray for ourselves. I want us to pray for this church. God, every one of us in this place is subject to temptations. They are coming. Give us strength to stand. Give us victory in the trial, victory in the storm. Help us to overcome sin and temptation and to stand on your word. If I could get everybody to stand, and I want as many of you as you will to come and ask. Listen, you, you may not have been tempted all that bad yet. You, you may not have had anything that really pulled you out. Can I just go ahead and give you one thing for certain? The closer you want to get to God, the more your temptations are coming. The more you desire the things of God, the more the devil will come after you. The more you seek the will of God, the more you try to serve God, the more you come to church, the more you read the Bible, the bigger the, the, bigger the target gets on your back. The more you want to serve God, the more the enemy wants to take you out. Pray. Pray, Lord, give me strength. Give me strength to overcome temptation. You, you know yours. You know yours, God. This is it. You know it and I know it. Help me with this one. Help me to not fail in this one. Help me to be strong, God. Draw me closer to you. It's okay to pray for ourselves. God, I just want to be faithful. I just want to be pleasing to you, God. That's all I want.